It's not about the actual experience of the event. It's how we're experiencing life in the present based on that we're stuck in this feeling of the past. everyone. Emily Abadi here. You are listening to an installment of Hurdle Moment from Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. For today's episode, I am chatting with Dr. Elisa Hallerman. She is the female founder of Recovery Management Agency, the first agency devoting to helping addicts heal their addictions by, as she puts it, reawakening their souls. She is also a new author. Her upcoming book, Soul Briety, comes out on December 6th, and I am so elated to have her on the podcast today. We are chatting all about trauma, why knowing what trauma is and the different ways to treat it can save you years of therapy, misdiagnosis, and being wrongly medicated. In today's episode, Dr. Hallerman and I really break it down, not only defining what trauma is and the different types of trauma, but also the importance of seeking out a trauma specialist, not just any therapist, a individual and expert who can help you navigate your individual situation. Plus, she also offers up tips and strategies for things that you can do on your own time at home to navigate the emotions, the feelings, and the effects of how trauma has impacted you in your life. This is a really beautiful discussion. Thank you so much to Dr. Hallerman for her time. And make sure, if you're not doing so yet, you're following along with Hurdle over on social. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to it. Let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Elisa Hallerman. How are you doing today? I'm doing so good, Emily. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for making the time. Literally, we got on this and the joke was, all right, well, I'm just taking a break from saving lives. (laughs) (laughs) What's your day-to-day like right now? Um, It's crazy. You know, my work is obviously the most, my day-to-day is the business and the clients that I have. And so that is anywhere from some sort of crisis management situation to really working with the clients or connecting with their team and making sure everyone's rowing the boat in the same direction or talking to parents and updating them, you know, updating my team So it's very client-centric throughout most of the day. And then I'm trying to just slide in a little bit of the stuff that I want to do to promote the book because essentially why I wrote the book in the first place was because I felt like I could only have so many 
clients. And while we're scaling the business and we have more and more recovery managers that are working with us, I felt like I wanted to get more of the message out. And that's really why I started writing during the pandemic. And so it's important for me to do both, essentially. Right, right. So you're talking about your upcoming book, Soul Variety, a plan to heal your trauma, overcome addiction, and reconnect with your soul. Talk to us a little bit about what Soul Variety is and why it's important to you. So I studied depth psychology, which is oriented around the unconscious. Other other forms of psychology that fall underneath that tradition are Jungian psychology, archetypal psychology, and so on. When I wrote my dissertation and went back to school and was writing my dissertation, the question that I asked was, could doing soul-centered work help with long-term recovery from addiction? And the answer from all of my participants was a resounding yes, but the caveat was they didn't know they were doing it. They didn't realize that they were either caring for their soul or going through a dark night of the soul. And so it became really clear to me that we needed language around soul work. And so that's where the idea of sobriety came from. And I started obviously doing it on myself and then working with my clients. And it's not meant as a modality or a lifestyle to replace anything else that we use to help with mental illness, addiction, trauma. But to me, it felt like more of the thread between everything. That sobriety is a way for you personally to have your own unique experience with your own unique soul and be able to do this work by yourself. It's fun to do it with other people and we have sobriety groups and all of that. But essentially, I wanted something that people could drop into um, as a lifestyle that they could do on their own. You're really focusing mostly on patients and clientele. And of course, as you brought in your network, who are navigating past areas of trauma, which is exactly what we are here to talk about today. Why don't we start there? Can you do me a favor and give us a broad definition of what exactly trauma is? So trauma is pretty subjective for each person. So basically, any event or or chronic events that happen that take you out of your window of tolerance that are so overwhelming that you cannot integrate the information in real time. You can't integrate the information because it's unfamiliar. It's never happened. It's overwhelming. We can't process it. And essentially, when something traumatic happens, immediately we go into our reptilian or our old brain and we have a survival response, which is either fight or flight or freeze. And if we can't fight back and we can't flee the situation, especially when we're talking about early childhood trauma, you are forced to be frozen or you have to stay in that situation. 
And so where does that energy of that we, that our bodies automatically, our hormones send cortisol and adrenaline and all of this, all of this energy throughout our body so that we can fight back or flee. But where does that go if we're frozen? And essentially what happens is, is that energy gets stored on a cellular level in our bodies if we cannot release it. And that will manifest itself and look like many different things, anxiety, depression, and we'll look to anesthetize that feeling because we haven't been able to process it. Right. Now, there are so many different events that can cause trauma, ranging from serious accidents to different types of assault and abuse, uh, traumatic events maybe at worth or different health problems. And then all of those different sources of trauma can lead to, as you said, I mean, behavioral health issues, chronic physical health conditions. We talked about anxiety and depression. All of us in some way at some point have navigated various let's call it degrees of trauma. What happens to the person that maybe doesn't fully grasp what they've been through and that they have been dramatically impacted by this trauma? So it's a great question because we look at sometimes what's stress and what's toxic stress and what's trauma. And so trauma can be an acute event, whether that's a car accident or an assault a one-time event. Chronic trauma is something that is going on. So bullying in school, um, maybe a divorced parent and they have to go back and forth. And so that can be traumatic for them. And then there's complex trauma, which is pretty much both of those things combined. And I think we minimize the events of my trauma is not as bad as that person because this, this, and this never happened. But it's not about the event. That's the important part. It's not about the actual experience of the event. It's how we're experiencing life in the present based on that we're stuck in this feeling of the past. So there, if we have triggers, if we find it hard to concentrate, if, you know, we haven't moved past it or rather moved it out of our bodies and, you know, all trauma creates stress, but all stress does not create trauma. Mm. So there's a, there was a study done in uh, Canada where there was a major car accident on the freeway, like one of the largest car accidents. And they ended up getting some of those people that were in that accident and did some trauma studies on their brains afterwards. And what they would do is they told the story of what happened and they would see how their brains lit up. And essentially what we learned from that study is that two people could be in the car and experience the exact same thing, see the exact same tragedy unfolding in front of them, experiencing the same fear. And the husband walked away fine. And the woman walked away extremely traumatized. Mm. And the reason was because she had had past trauma. She had had childhood trauma. She'd experienced other traumatic moments that what ends up happening is tra trauma couples on top of each other. So if you don't end up releasing it, 
then all of a sudden one thing happens and that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. And then Mm -hmm. you're experiencing these symptoms we talked about. Right. So what I'm hearing you say is that it can compound together. And you're also really focusing here on the effect of the event, right? So like there's the event, there's then like the experience of the event, and then there's the effect and how we navigate moving forward. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So now that we know that there is this compounding effect, what is someone to do if they want to treat their trauma. And I'm sure like listening to this, someone would be like, well, obviously I go to therapy or something, but it's bigger than that. It is bigger than that. So I think what's interesting, let's just to back it up is, and this is one of the reasons why I was so drawn to leaving my last career in Hollywood and starting something like recovery management agency so that people don't know what they don't know. And when I went back to school and started learning about trauma, and here's what I learned. One is, so there's people that study addiction in school, and there's people that study mental health psychology, and then there's different people that go and learn trauma-focused modalities. And it's not, there's not one school for all of that. So if your therapist didn't study trauma-focused modalities and understanding of that in doing extra amount of education, then they're not trauma-focused. They might be trauma-informed and they know the basics of what we just discussed. But what we've learned is that talk therapy doesn't release that energy I spoke of, that that's not the way forward, that it doesn't really help. You can be in talk therapy for 20 years and you're not going to get to the underlying trauma and relieve that feeling that we spoke of. So it's really important that you find a trauma-focused, not trauma-informed, but trauma-focused therapist that really understands the different modalities not every therapist is going to be able to do all the different modalities, but like Bessel van der Kolk, who's one of the great founders who talks about trauma all the time. He wrote a book called The Body Keeps Score. And so he 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 once said to me, you, you can't be a one-trick pony. You have to at least understand all the different modalities because everybody's going to respond differently. Some people are going to respond to... EMDR, which is more of a top-down modality that focuses on the brain and the right and left at the same time. And then there's somatic experiencing, which focuses more on the body. And so depending upon the trauma, depending upon the person, depending upon the way in, they're going to need a different set of modalities. I'd liken it to saying that you have something like a foot injury and proclaiming, I'm going to go see a surgeon. Well, like you're not going to go see a brain surgeon or a heart surgeon or 
I mean, insert other surgeon here, you're going to go see an orthopedic surgeon, you know? So there are going to be different types of therapists, different experts, and the more homed in you can get, especially if you've experienced serious trauma, which is really what we're getting at here, the better. Now, again, going back to that concept of it's bigger than just seeking out a specialized therapist, what else can someone do who has experienced a, a serious trauma? Every trauma, no matter how small, depending on how it's landing with that specific person, is serious because right. it it we get very stuck in, well, I wasn't assaulted or I didn't have this happen. And that doesn't make it any less so. It's important to be looking at, am I experiencing symptoms of what may be trauma? Am I having trouble sleeping? Am I having trouble in my interpersonal relationships? Am I having trouble where I feel anxious in certain situations? Am I feeling depressed? Am I isolating? Often we want to go immediately to, well, it's just this or it's just that. But it might be that that you, in fact, experience something traumatic. And it doesn't even have to just have happened to you. You could have witnessed something happening to somebody else, and that can be equally as traumatic. So I think that we throw this word around a lot, essentially, which is why we're trying to break it down. But it's really about checking for symptoms. How are we feeling in our body? Are we, is our attention, can we, lack of attention, all these different things. Are we having in our body that we didn't normally have? Do we keep getting sick? All of these different things. So it can be cognitive. It can be physical, like we just discussed. It can be a lot of different things. So I think we really need to like look across and then depending upon, I would seek out someone that understands trauma, discuss with them. I like to look at, you know, the book is told in storytelling because I was 10 years sober before I realized that trauma was at the core of my disconnect and my unhappiness. And that even though I had all this time in recovery, I still felt very disconnected from a part of myself. And then I recognized, then I learned about trauma and I thought, oh my God, now I can look back and I can see how these instances, you know, really added up and some of them more in particular than not and really start to look at my story and notice where these ruptures were. Just simply notice them with no judgment and then be able to take that to a therapist or someone that understands and say, Hey, here's what happened for me. And it's almost like, you know, people describe trauma sometimes as people dissociate. That's what it looks like to the outside world, but to the inside world, to the soul world, I talk about it as soul loss essentially, because we have lost this connection to ourselves and to others. And we've lost the ability to make meaning out of our experiences and we become this fragmented sense of self 
And often people will say, like, I don't even feel like myself anymore, or I feel like something's missing. These are big concepts of like, yeah, something's missing. And that's a part of you. And so that's worthy of going a little further and becoming curious about what else is lying underneath. taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsors. First up, one of Hurdle's newest sponsors at 8sleep. Like over 30% of Americans, I am a super hot sleeper and I have really struggled in the past with not only falling asleep, but staying asleep at night because of temperature. That, my friends, is where the 8sleep pod cover comes in. It has completely changed the game for me. Now, not only does the pod help me sleep comfortably no matter the outside temperature, but it also enables me to be in complete control of the temperature inside of my bedroom with its ability to dynamically cool and heat the bed to maintain that optimal sleeping temp from what my body needs. I am also obsessed with the gentle rise feature, which uses vibration at chest level to wake me up without disrupting my circadian rhythm, making mornings feel a little bit more welcoming and peaceful. Now, if that's not a pivot from my usual iPhone alarm, then I don't know what is. Listen, I'm obsessed with this thing, and in my mind, there is no better investment that you can make in the long term than spending smartly on your sleep, which truly impacts every aspect of our day-to-day. Get in on the action. Grab an 8sleep pod cover for yourself. Head on over to 8sleep.com slash hurdle. That's E-I-G-H-T-S-L-E-E-P.com slash hurdle to save $150 on the pod at checkout. Again, that's 8sleep.com slash hurdle to get $150 off your 8sleep pod today. Also got to give some love to my friends at AG1 from Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens has been in my rotation for years now, and it stays in my rotation because it makes me feel like a better me. I shake mine up ice cold every single morning before I sit down in the studio to get to work. And it is not only my symbol to myself that it's time to get to it, but also It is this like gift I give myself every single day. And that's because it's got 75 whole food sourced ingredients, including prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods, plus the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. I'm telling you, my energy levels are better when AG1 is a part of my regular routine. My skin looks clearer. I'm not going to lie to you. And lastly, my digestion just feels better, if you know what I mean. If you have not gotten in on the AG1 gang just yet, it is about time, especially with the holidays on deck, to take care of you and give yourself the gift of feeling better in your body. Head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle today to get a free year supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs with your purchase. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your order today. And you said the buzzword of judgment, which I do want to home in 
on quickly because I also believe that carries over to the discussion we were having about us maybe blaming, so to speak, how we feel the symptoms we may be experiencing on anything and everything else, right? Because we could be going through these processes where we are judging ourselves for not being okay. We're being hard on ourselves for not being okay. But rather, what you're preaching here is not only being upfront with yourself, but also having some grace in that experience. Because admitting this, that first step really in recognizing what's going on in your body, that is hard, but it's also commendable. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, for me, I was able to start to look at my addiction as obvious for the all the obvious reasons of a disease and all of that. But when I started to look at it as a lack of meaning in my life, it was like a crisis of meaning. I was no longer able to have deep, meaningful experiences. There was no depth. And it wasn't until I began to sort of grow down and look at those harder questions and become curious about what lies underneath what lies underneath the symptoms. The symptoms are messages from soul saying, hey, over here, look at me. You know you know how you can't move your shoulder anymore? Like, let's look at why. We can go get it fixed. We can fix your symptoms all day long. But if you can't move your neck, you might want to look at the underlying why. What happened? And that's essentially the essence of sobriety. And so... Yeah, it's, it's a meaning-making issue. And if you can look at it from that, it takes away the judgment. And it takes away, it almost is exciting, if you will, to go and look and figure out, well, why is this happening and what can I do about it? And instead of making you feel powerless, that in fact makes you feel more powerful and more you have a sense of agency over what's going on for you. You know, it it made me laugh a little bit thinking about the concept that it's all connected, right? Because that happens both in our discussion here with trauma, but then like think about how this could apply to a completely different scenario. I personally navigating plantar fasciitis, well, that plantar fasciitis is a result of stuff that's going on in my knee and up the chain to my hip and then probably in my lower back, right? So everything that we do, every single component here has to do, it's intertwined, right? And so the best thing we can do is take a step back and look holistically at what's going on. And then again, as we said, have that grace to identify the thing or the patterns and then move forward with that knowledge to take the best next step for each of us. And I think that's an important thing to touch on next is that although there are these general tips here that we're offering up on speaking to a trauma-informed therapist and perhaps doing this self-inventory and whatnot, everybody is going to be different. So just because one path of action works for one individual, it doesn't mean that that won't work for you, but it might work for you in a different amount of time or with a different amount of frequency, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And also sometimes when we're talking about child, let's just talk about childhood trauma for a second, which is different in the sense that things could have happened pre-verbal or even at a very young age. So you experience something when you're four, but you don't have language to describe it. So even when 
you're in therapy, talk therapy, you don't have the language to be able to describe how it felt in the present because you were four when it happened. And so you didn't register it in the same kind of way. And there's an ACE study, A-C-E, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences, that you can take online and see how many of those you may have. But it's looking for, was there an unavailable parent? Was there a secure attachment? Were you able to really be guided and have a safe and secure place to get your needs met? And this can happen in the the most loveliest of homes. I mean, my parents were extremely loving, but we didn't necessarily talk about things as they arose. And so that made me feel unsafe. And that led to some of the underlying narratives and these post-it notes on my soul, if you will, of, oh, well, there must be something wrong with you, or you're not good enough, or you're unlovable. And that is just something that we grow up with. And then we have these narratives and we have this belief system. And so I think also going back and looking at our childhood and there's, you know, there's a practice called internal family systems, which is really an excellent practice also for traumas. And we really look at these different parts of ourselves and sobriety takes it even further in really naming these parts of ourselves and becoming really autonomous and so on and personifying them. But it's all it's all connected. It's all so important. And I think when we think about creating depth as a human being and depth as a person and wanting to be more fulfilled and find a life filled with meaning and purpose, this is, this is the way we do it. We get curious and we go look. Right. We get curious and we go look. So moving forward then, we've talked about a few ways to address this trauma practically in the day-to-day outside of talking to someone about what's going on in your life. Are there any self-care practices that you would recommend or things that we can do on our own that could help the circumstance? Yes. So it's about when you're stuck in a, a, an experience that you're being triggered by, essentially you're dysregulated. So you're maybe in that back part of your brain. So there's a couple of ways to get yourself back into that thinking part of our brain. One of them is to really focus on your senses. So if you just take a moment and you sit down and you look at a couple of different things and you really focus on four or five things that are around and you really look at them. Like I'm looking at this cup and now I'm noticing it and I'm thinking about how it might be and all of these different things, simple, but just get in that headspace of what do I see and really look at it and then close your eyes and what do I hear? I might hear birds, I might hear whatever it is you hear. And then you go to what are, what what do I taste in my mouth right now? And what do I feel on my body? Feel my clothes. I feel this itchy sweater I'm wearing. I feel the warm air on me. And really, really ground yourself in these senses. And that will bring you back 
to a place of regulation into the front of your brain, this prefrontal cortex. Breathing is also an excellent way to bring yourself back. We often all say to my clients, take a deep breath in for four counts through your nose, hold it, and then let it out through your mouth for four counts. You can do three counts or two counts of whatever's comfortable for you. Call that box breathing. And if you do that a couple of times, that can also bring you back to a sense of regulation. So those are two easy things that you can do. Going for a walk and simply noticing what's around you. Walking meditations. If you don't feel comfortable sitting there and meditating, just get out and walk into nature. There's a very relaxing feeling about that. But again, you have to do what's going to feel comfortable in your own body because we don't know what your previous experience was. Right. And you just said that buzzword, nature. Why is involving nature in this mindfulness practice something that can be beneficial? Nature reminds us that we're not in charge, right? You can walk outside and you get a sense, whether you believe or not, that there's something greater and bigger than ourselves. There's something very relaxing about that. Uh, I tell a story in the book where I was going through a really traumatic event and outside my window where I lived at the time, there was a frozen pond. And even with all my knowledge and everything that I had learned and knowing that I could point to it and go, trauma, trauma, this is what's happening. This is what's happening in my brain. This is da, 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 da. I still had to go through the process like anybody else of feeling it and being in that, what I call dark night of the soul. And so every day I would wake up and I would open the curtains and I would see the pond. And I knew without a shadow of the doubt that that pond, even though it was completely frozen because it was the dead of winter and there were no sense of life on it whatsoever, no ant, no ducks, nothing, that in time it would begin to melt and life would come back. And so I just went with, you know what? I can trust that that's going to happen there. And so that will hopefully happen for me as well. And every morning I would open the drapes and go, nope, not today. We're still frozen. (laughs) And eventually, all of a sudden, a duck would appear. And I was like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Maybe, maybe I'm going to start to thaw out a bit. Right, right. What a metaphor there. And uh, to your point here, I mean, spending time in nature research shows that it really can help with mental health problems such as anxiety and depression. And it's also been linked to a host of other benefits, including including improved attention, lower stress, better mood, aka, yeah, not just looking at a frozen pond can be beneficial for you, but just getting outside and taking a deep breath. And I love that everything that you were saying here really just is boasting the benefit of mindfulness, no matter what that looks like to you. If breath work feels good to you, do breath work. If doing a guided meditation feels good to you, do a guided meditation. If just doing the box breath as you close your eyes, sitting in your desk chair is like the thing that gets you to feel at home in your body, then do the box breath in your office chair, you know? So again, individualized and having grace with yourself is the key to developing a practice that helps you feel better. Exactly. And another great way to 
work through some trauma is by moving your body. So mm. exercise, if you're not an exercise person, just even get, a, I do this, I'll just get up and I'll just shake it all out, shake off the day, shake off the experience. You might want to let out a big yell, anything to move the energy through you. Anything to move the energy through you. Is there anything else that we should chat on before I let you go when it comes to navigating trauma, moving through trauma and addressing it on your own terms? I think the most important thing when I, we both touch on it, but it's worth repeating is you shouldn't judge the trauma and you shouldn't judge yourself. And that the thing about trauma work is you can heal from it. You can not change the experience that you might've had, but you can definitely change the experience that you're having in the present. And you definitely can find a peaceful way. There is a lot of help out there and it's not something that you have to live with. I think it goes misdiagnosed, if you will, for other things because everyone's looking at symptoms. And that's why I think it's important to talk about and raise awareness so that people can become their own health advocate and their own healer and really be able to say, hey, what about this experience that I had? And I think it might be hindering my future. Yeah. So, so important. So glad that you're able to have this convo. Dr. Hallerman, tell us how do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give us your details. Well, hurdlers, you can find me on Instagram at dr. Elisa Hallerman. So D-R-E-L-I-S-A-H-A-L-L-E-R-M-A-N. You can also find help on our website, which is drhallerman, drhallerman.com. And yeah, I hope to connect with all of you. Love it. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>